For scientific discovery, give me Scott. For speed and efficiency of travel, give me Edmonton. But when you are in a hopeless situation, when you are seeing no way out, get down on your knees and pray for Shackleton. This is the Out of Ireland podcast. Oh, that was even better. <laughs> okay, cute. <laughs> <laughs> My dog's eating my paper. <laughs> Maybe it's time to get rid of the dog. Your dog is eating your homework. Is... <laughs> Maybe it's time to what? <laughs> Maybe it's time to get rid of the dog. Nah, she's cute. She's dangerous. Yeah, I'll, you should probably drop drop the dog over here. I, I dropped her off the couch today and I felt really guilty. But she jumped off, but I probably could have prevented it. But... Well, she, do you want to tell the listeners about your dog? Yeah, I have, I have a new, I have a three-month-old Basset Hound puppy. And all she wants to do is chew everything. And she's currently nestled into my, uh, my hoodie right now. But she's trying to chew... The earphones, so and the paper that I'm using for my notes. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how much notes I get through before she eats the whole thing. I just love the fact that you're already like preempting that the dog ate your notes. Well, no, she hopefully she'll fall asleep was the plan, but now she's chewing my zipper. So, yeah, what's gonna happen? We'll see. What have she's, you been training her to do? No, she's 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 giddier. <laughs> she's giddier than I anticipated for this. Like, I was hoping to be like a quiet, relaxing podcast read where I could stroke my dog like an evil villain or something, but um. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe she was quite relaxed earlier until you picked her up and put her inside your jumper. Yeah, that's probably the mistake there. Mm. Um, well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, I was going to try and explain. You also tried to let her put her head into your mouth, but I don't. I don't know how to explain that properly. I just opened my <laughs> mouth and she stuck her nose all the way in. I didn't exactly like encourage her. She's just really obsessed with my beard and the inside of my mouth. Look at those eyes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right where, where are we going to just stare at this dog <laughs> all yeah, three of us yeah quite happily <laughs> so we're going to go, we're going to talk about Ernest Shackleton today uh, do you guys know anything about him before going into this or were you kind of I had a very vague surfacey kind of knowledge of it but kind of I learned a lot in the deep dive um, yeah no I knew, I knew a bit about Shackleton beforehand but not too much um, Tom Cream would have been more on my radar uh, there's obviously that play that was going around the last couple of years or it's actually a good while now, uh, which I've gone seen, which is very good, but nothing much about Shackleton himself. So Tom Tom Crean is a famous explore, Irish explorer who we're not talking about in this episode. <laughs> Just to know. Look at how much we're not talking about him. We're we're talking about a failed expedition that was doomed. Um, yeah, and what I didn't realize is when I started looking into this, there's like a wealth of actual like there's actual video footage and actual photos from the expedition itself. I didn't realize that. I know it's like 1914, 1915, but like it was just surprising that it was so well documented, the whole thing. Yeah, and there's color um, color video and color photo as well. It's actually really interesting that it was like at the start of color photography. Um, and he, they, yeah, the type of photography they used had two big glass plates. So they were lugging these big glass plates around for ages while they were like floating in the middle of the ocean, freezing. <laughs> kind of at the behest of the uh, the ice flows, which we'll get into. But yeah. go on, let's let's kick it off. That um, I didn't do too much of the early life, folks, because it kind of gets a little bit. Um, he went from this ship to this ship, but basically, Ernest Shackleton was born in 1874. In oh, my dog's falling off my lap. Okay, <laughs> okay, such a terrible idea. So anyway, sorry. He was born in 1874. Um, his father was from Yorkshire, and his mother was from Kildare, I think, which is an Irish county. But either way, he was spent 10 years in Ireland before he left and he moved over to London. So his dad, initially, his dad had a couple of different jobs, but his dad was, when he was in Kildare, he worked as a laborer, like a farmer. And then he went to Trinity to study medicine. 
and then he believed he'd have better chances of like getting a job if he moved over to London. But there's also a bit of speculation that because Shackleton's father was English and his mother was Irish, that made him Anglo-Irish. And there was a bit of an Anglo, there was a sentiment against kind of Anglo-Irish people in Ireland at the time. So there's speculation that his father moved because of that kind of anti-Anglo-Irish sentiment. But either way, though, in some cases, his family was branded as being Anglo-Irish. Shackleton always fiercely announced that he was Irish, Irish-Irish through and through. I saw a thing about that, or I was reading into that, and a lot of it was, it's almost like he was claiming to be Irish in the same way that a lot of Americans, yeah, a lot of Americans claim to be Native American, almost as though that it gives them like a, a different edge to them. It was almost like he was very well respected in society, and for him to say that he was Irish, it almost gave him like, oh well, he's rough and tumble. He's got an eye patch. Yeah, basically, like, <laughs> <He's got> an... <laughs> he was peacocking. Basically. Yeah, and it was almost like I'm, yeah, proper rough and not like you soft English people, but so while still, you know, circulating in quite high society. Well, like he managed to, he quickly kind of rose up the ranks because he first set sail at the age of 16. And then within about 10 years, he'd gotten to the, the status, which was called Master Mariner. I think is a great name for well, I don't know, pasta, who knows? No, that's crap. God, Marinara. I, hate trying, I hate trying to be funny. <laughs> Doesn't suit you. No, it doesn't. I'm not funny. So he first set sail at the age of 16, and then within about 10 years, he'd attained the status of Master Mariner, which allowed him to command a British ship anywhere in the world. So I don't really know what that means. I don't know if you're a Master Mariner, can you just get on any feckin' ship and be like, mine? Yeah, I was confused with that. I thought that if you saw a ship, you were allowed to control it, but that's not what it means. It means you're no. like, you're qualified. You are, it is possible for you to take command of a ship. Probably like they a driving need a new commander. license, maybe. Yeah. But you yeah. need a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's probably also for British ships as well. So if he was uh, if he was away or whatever, he could sail a British ship if there was one there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. it's more like a driving license. He couldn't just show up and be like, like, when I got my driving license, I didn't go out and go, you, give me that car. Like, if the captain of the ship falls overboard and then the person exclaims to all the passengers, is anyone on the ship a master mariner? Then he can stand up and be like, I am. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. <laughs> I'm, glad, anyway. I'm glad we spent so much time figuring out this very simple thing. <laughs> yeah, that we all could have just Googled. <laughs> so he traveled all over the world in his early 20s and late teens. And along the way, he met this man called Cedric Longstaff, which is a brilliant name. Ooh. God, there's such good names in this podcast. There's so many good names. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, it's like, ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but his father was the main financial backer for the National Antarctic Expedition, which was being organized at the time in London. So straight away, Shackleton was like, I want to be on this expedition. I want to get in here. How do you make, how do you make me part, a part of this? So he used his connections with Cedric to get an interview through the father with the expedition and that's how he ended up going on his first expedition official expedition to the antarctic yeah and this is he's like 26 at this stage or 25 or 26 right yeah like master mariner master mariner by 24 i think so this one was officially named the british national antarctic expedition right yep yeah <laughs> and for ease sake i think everyone including us will call it the Discovery Expedition, which started in 1901, uh, so it was named after the ship. That seemed to be a thing, didn't it? They just, like, all these expeditions had these grand names, and then everyone just kind of called them by the main ship's name. Well, some of the names are a bit faffy, to be honest. Yeah. 
I mean, they're probably faffy now, but at the time they were going into new uncharted area, so it was discovery. It was proper, you know. Well, did you guys read that this was like these these set of expeditions were like considered the end of the age of was it golden exploration? Did you guys read that? Mm. Which was basically discovery without when you're in the the age of exploration where there was no way of communicating back home. So once you're gone, you're just gone. Like, it, but it was actually called the heroic age of Antarctic exploration. So. There's so also cool. that. Yeah. So cool. So, um, yeah, it was kind of considered the space race of the time. But back to the discovery. This was led by an Englishman of the name of Robert Falcon Scott. So anyone that has any knowledge on exploration in the Antarctic would, would have heard of his name. And there was also other names such as Shackleton and, as we mentioned before, Tom Crean. Uh, so two Irishmen were on, on board as well as other men. Scott was part of the Royal Navy uh, and he ran the ship as if it was a naval ship so on naval discipline act everyone had to agree uh, so it was quite a tight ship as they say what does that what does that mean like as in he runs a tight ship is that just li- like i know that's an expression does it literally come from naval things i'd imagine like maybe to prevent leaks like a loose ship be leaky i would assume more it's about the people on board so they'd have to <laughs> Just go by what the captain said. <laughs> oh, yeah, but maybe that... I, 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 still, I think leaky, leaky ship could actually be a thing. But now them saying it loud, it makes less sense. Yeah. Shackleton's role on board was a bit of a funny one. So there's a quote here that he was in charge of the seawater uh, analysts. He was in charge of the wardroom, uh, the, in charge of holds, stores and provisions. And he also was in charge of the entertainment. So he had, he had a broad broad range of duties on board i have this image of like shackleton dancing on the stage (laughs) (laughs) which i was actually i was listening to a a podcast earlier and they were saying that they were looking at his leadership skills which he as as the opening quote said he 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 was renowned for and instead of your cv so if you're a great scientist or if you're a great explorer that wasn't the main thing he looked at he Part of like the interview process, he'd ask you to sing or dance. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Or, if he, or if he liked the look of you as well. He said apparently some people would walk into a room and he'd just be like, "Yep," <laughs> like that's like he's like, "Yep, he looks." He great. has that grit, you know that yeah. gritty look. Well, because honestly, looking at the pictures of the men, they looked so fake. Now maybe it's because they spent two years on the ice, but they looked really hardy, didn't they? I mean, yeah, you would though. Two years yeah. in Antarctica. Jeez. We haven't even got to that yet. Yeah, we are, we'll get to that. Because <laughs> actually, I'm not, I haven't got the exact figure, but it was a long, long time. Yeah, it was three years, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, 1901 yeah. to 1904, so. I I was reading up on it, and I saw that the estimated cost for the expedition was £90,000. So it's the equivalent of about, um, I think it was about 8, 000, or 8 million euro in today's money. Wow. That's very expensive. Yeah, so the, the British government provided half of it. And then through smaller donations, it was kind of met the other way. So yeah, Cadbury's were one of the do- uh, donors and they gave over 16,000 kilos of chocolate and Bovril as well, which were another, they were another one, which I thought was a bit of a funny one. How do you explain yeah, so... Bovril to people who've never heard of Bovril? Yeah, I've never had Bovril. I don't know what, it just looks like tar in a bottle. I've had yeah. it. I thought it was, so I thought it was a thing, but it's actually a brand. I thought it was... Like, you know, you hear, oh, I had some Bovril, but it's actually just a brand name. It's not the actual substance. Really? <laughs> yeah. When I think of Bovril, it's a small little jar, maybe somewhat similar to like the Australian Marmite. And yeah. it, it basically tastes like gravy. But in my parents' days, they drink it like hot chocolate. <laughs> oh, what? God. 
Yeah, that's that's what yeah, it's a, is to it's me. a it's is a it beef not... extract. Oh, it's a what extract? Beef. Oh, yeah. what, what part of the beef do they extract? I assume it's just the juices and stuff. I don't oh, know. Like. Beef and marshmallows. Ooh, around a campfire. Yeah, I can that's see cool. why they went with the name like Bovril and didn't just call it extracted beef juice. Mm. Drink it like hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. Uh, <laughs> So the Discovery departed London in August 1901 and arrived on the Antarctic coasts via Cape, Cape Town and New Zealand on the 8th of January 1902. So it took I, over five months to get there. Can I ask a question, uh, Dara? Was, what was their overall goal? Was it to get to the South Pole? Uh, no, their overall goal was to just explore new lands and there was a bit of scientific uh, exploration as well. I love that. I just scientific discovery. Yeah, that's that's ice. Yeah, what about over there? Ice. They did so pounds after worth of Cadbury's. <laughs> to do so. It's a good place to dump a load of bottles. Faced it, faith in you guys. So at one point, so they after they left New Zealand. Actually, there's kind of a sad story. So they left New Zealand, and while they were leaving, a able seaman, which is a again a position on a boat I didn't know of, uh, Charles Boner, or Bonner. B-O-N-N-E-R. Mm-hmm. Definitely mm-hmm. Bonner. He just wanted to slip in Bonner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, we probably shouldn't be joking because the poor man, he climbed to the top of the main mast to wave off the crowds that were there to see them off and he fell. Oh, Did no. Did he survive? No, he died and they had to bury him further down in New Zealand two days later. Oh. Yeah. Everybody, we're off to... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. But it kind of set the tone for the whole thing because there was a few, there's a few things here. You're like, really? Really? You just went off here to an unknown area with this kind of thing in mind? But yeah. Um, yeah, not a great start for them. But back on the scientific thing, uh, as I said, they left New Zealand and they headed for the coasts of Antarctica and they, they hit a few different points. And at one point, they unpacked an observation balloon and Scott went up and he went up over 600 feet to have a look over the landmass, and then Shackleton himself also did the same. So yeah, oh, that's kind of interesting. Cool. That's like yeah. early putting the drone up to have a look. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So this balloon was tethered to the ground, and yeah, they just let it let it go up and then pull it back down. It's <laughs> amazing. So it's like a hot air balloon. Yeah, 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 that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, so six hundred feet or one hundred and eighty meters up. So a decent height. Yeah. Wilson, another man that was on the expedition, uh, they all they all seem to write a diary, but out of his diary, he has a note saying that it was perfect madness. After bouncing about at different points along the coast, they eventually got to their point where they were going to set up base, and this became known as the Winter Quarters Bay. Uh, so this was now the 8th of February. So they're about two months after leaving New Zealand at this stage. So um, they're, they're going to set up camp. They're going to build a few um, shelters, um, but they're going to primarily live on the, on the ship. Uh, yeah, it's important to remember, like, this is the early 1900s, so these expeditions, it wasn't uncommon for them to go on for years. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, the usual turnaround time was, but it usually went on a lot. So two months yeah. travel time was nothing, you know. No, no, five months to get down to Australia is kind of mad as well, or to New Zealand, sorry. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, so, yeah, as I said, they unpacked everything out, which one of them things is a dog, which Oshin now has his lap sno- on his lap snoring. Um, different type of dog though. this dog the Oshin's dog I don't think could do this Oshin's a serial basset hound owner that sounds like and a tongue twister it's a very difficult sentence to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but your last 
uh, Basset Hound once on a hike was walking and fell over because it stood in its own ear. So I don't think it would have done too well in Antarctica. Yeah. Do you remember, were you on that hike? No, you weren't on the hike where like Basset Hounds are really long. It was the Coombshinagon one. And we had to like have someone in the caboose who'd pick up her ass for the, the really steep parts. She's just too long. She'd get the front half up, but she couldn't get the, the bottom half up. Oh. So that was you really interesting. Yourself, no. <laughs> you didn't volunteer yourself. I was do I was working the front half. <laughs> oh, that's nice. The part that it could do itself. <laughs> it was a bit of a two Well, <laughs> yeah, but you need to give her a hoist, like her paws are very small. So anyway, sorry, we're almost totally as digressing. if she shouldn't be on that loop. She had a great time. As I mentioned earlier, this expedition wasn't the best planned. Uh, so straight away you read about the the actual guys on on board they weren't very well-skilled skiers and none of them had any experience with dog slaying so yeah not not a great point of trying to get the furthest into uh, the antarctic or possibly to the south pole so they basically just got a load of gear and we're like ah yeah we'll we'll use we, it we got this we'll be grand. we got chocolate grand <laughs> loads That's- of chocolate Sounds a lot like the main one we'll be talking about today, to be honest. Just a lack of kind of training, in, in a sense. It does seem yeah. a lot of these expeditions were fairly thrown together. Uh, they, they spent the winter at this uh, at this base, so they learned a few skills, which they didn't get much better at. And Shacklin was involved in writing a newspaper for the guys to keep them entertained over the winter months, which was called the South Polar Times. Good name. Yeah. It's very good and they And they also played football on the ice as well, so... Shackleton was quite a fan of uh, poetry as well. He'd be reading poetry to his men all the time. He just yeah. seems like a very interesting fella. Yeah, on this one, there was uh, he was there was a quote from someone else's diary, and he said that he was the most popular of the officers among the crew, like being a good mixer. So, <laughs> yeah, he was obviously able to talk to officers and then the the, the everyday men. Mm-hmm. I think that's because he came up through the ranks. He kind of like in his early life. He couldn't afford to go to like officer training camp so he went and did like before the mast training and stuff so he kind of went from the bottom up mm, essentially he worked, his way, he worked his way up yeah hmm. on the 2nd of november in 1902 scott wilson and shackleton headed off to, with the supporting parties and the dogs uh, the goal was to get as far south in a straight line on the barrier ice as they can reach the pole if possible or find some new land so that was the goal according to scott however their lack of skills really became evident soon into the expedition and progress was very very slow and the support parties had returned on on the 15th of november which is just two weeks in scott's group began relaying their load so taking half loads so they'd walk one mile drop the load, walk back, pick up another load. So they'd have to walk three miles to just do one mile of distance. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so it was an absolute disaster, really. And this is just to continue or to return back to the ship? No, that's still continuing. And then even worse, then they made a mistake with the dog's food. So they're not too sure what happened, but the dogs start getting sick uh, and they get weaker, obviously. So Wilson, uh, the other guy on the expedition, had to kill one of them and use that as food for the other dogs oh no yeah and not only the dogs were not bad the men were too so they were struggling with snow blindness frostbite and early symptoms of scurvy Jesus yeah sounds like a disaster and they kept just going (laughs) (laughs) this is fine can we turn around now guys we the dogs are eating dogs I'm snow blind and my toes are gone no 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 we'll keep going we're fine you're fine yeah yeah um, there is a nice little story on Christmas Day so they celebrated with double rations 
and a Christmas pudding that Shackleton had kept on for the occasion, hidden in his socks. <laughs> oh, sock pudding. It's a bit mashed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I can't imagine his socks smelled very good. Like, it's not like he kept a spare pair of socks. This was like a good, like two weeks in. One would hope the pudding is just like soaked through in brandy or something or something very, something that just kills all of that fungus. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but they continued on to the 30th of December where they got to the furthest point that's ever been recorded at that time and headed their way back to the ship, which you can only imagine it just got worse. So the remaining dogs died. Shackleton himself uh, collapsed with scurvy. Scott and Wilson uh, struggled on with Shackleton, who was unable to pull, walk, walked alongside and occasionally was carried on the sleigh. And at that point, is kind of argued about. So Shackleton wasn't happy with that himself. He he says he was able to walk. He did admit that he was suffering, but he was never had to be pulled. There, there's kind of a perpetual, um, and we'll get into it later, um, there's a perpetual kind of argument between Scott and Shackleton as they had two very different types of exploration. And there was probably a, a significant rivalry between the two as well. Uh, the three men struggled by with Shackleton himself admitting that he was broken down and could no lo- longer carry out his share of work. On the 4th of February 1903, they arrived back with the ship and uh, the other men at their base. The, a relief ship came uh, to help the guys out. So they were supposed to leave, but Scott himself said he, he didn't want to go. They went, and the ship was stuck in ice, which was kind of planned by them. They didn't actually really want to go, even though they told the men it was going to be due to finish up in a, within a year or two years. But it went on for an extra year. Um, but Scott told Shackleton that he had to go home. Uh, and he wrote that he authed not risk further hardship in his present state of health. Uh, the, I'm assuming Shackle didn't, didn't like that. Or Scott didn't like that? Did it change his opinion of him or something? Having to boot him home? Scott wrote a book and Shackleton wasn't too pleased with what was said about him in it. But the men did seem to stay on civil terms in public at least. Yeah, there's a lot of rumours about them having... But I don't know if it's just rivalry or if it's them actually being at each other's throats. But also like you're on the like ice with six of you or five e for a couple of months at, on end like you're going to be at each other's throats a bit right yeah but shackleton was able well as we'll get into shackleton was extremely capable of managing that kind of the political stuff whereas maybe maybe scott had a different sort of uh, mind frame about it yeah i wonder was there a bit of jealousy as well because uh at the end of that as we, when shackleton was sent home from that expedition he was sent off to well new zealand to like recoup for a bit and then when he went back to england via new york and like san francisco he seemed to be like a celebrity because he was one of the first people to come back from this antarctic expedition so he got a lot of the plaudits and i don't know if that was a thing that scott had trouble with but it just it seemed like that would be annoying if you got back year a year later and you're like oh but we already chatted to this lad who was telling us yeah, all yeah, about the, it the, we heard the story. Gone or the... yeah yeah, but it did say that so Scott did write that book and it sold well. So he obviously had some sort of fame as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting what he did when he got back. So like he got back in like 1903 to England. Uh, again, I'll keep this kind of short because the expeditions are the really exciting bits. But for like four years he was back in England and he kind of just flitted around and, and raised money to go back. Essentially is all he did. Um, but he fitted out ships for rescue missions to the Antarctic and the Arctic. A lot. Uh, that was one of his like jobs that he got because he hadn't really ever had a real job that wasn't being on a ship or being on an expedition. Uh, he got married in 1904, so he's like 30. 
and he stood for election in Dundee for the U- Liberal Unionist Party, who were really against home rule for Ireland, which was a movement in Ireland at the time, like pre-World War I, uh, which would have kept Ireland in Great Britain, but would be have its own independent government, which would fit into the whole narrative of him being um, like an Anglo, Anglo-Irish, or I guess we'd call it a, a West Brit these days, wouldn't we? At this time, he decided he wanted to go back to Antarctica, and he started working with a guy called Broadmoor, who was an industrialist. Uh, whom he he was kind of like a PR guy for the for for uh, Broadmoor. So Broadmoor would kind of bring him around to parties, and he would like entertain his guests or entertain his friends more than anything. And Sounds he, like someone that's won Love Island. <laughs> Just brought her in nightclubs around Ireland. <laughs> Do you remember that? That was a thing. Like lads from California used to show up in nightclubs in Maynooth. Yeah, yeah just sure, I, got, I got I got Mini Me to sign fifty euro note. Do you remember Vern Troyer, the poor fella? Oh yeah. yeah. He signed my money and he was like, Well, I get in trouble for this. And I was like, I don't know. Can you just sign it? <laughs> Very nice. Did flex did... having fifty euro in college. Well then I spent it. It was my budget for the week. It was very easy. It was like petrol, booze, and then food. In that, oh well, booze, petrol, food was the priorities. And, or to keep this fifty-year note forever. That never yeah. happened. No, <laughs> straight away. <laughs> Probably on a chicken fillet roll the night, the next day. Probably. Uh, Shackleton convinced Broadmoor, who was his employer, to basically fund most of his expedition. So he had uh, kind of his big expedition that he had planned, which was the Nimrod expedition. Um. But he also got, he had like a load of rich mates at this stage. So he kind of got in with the upper echelons of society and got a big donation. Like two weeks before the expedition left, he got over the line with the funding he needed with uh, a donation from Lord Ivy, who is the great grandson of Arthur Guinness. It's another That's connection. Oh. Yeah. So sorry. So the first expedition we've just did, and this is the second expedition now, the Nimrod expedition. Yeah, but yeah. this is his. So officially it was the British Antarctic expedition. Uh, but yeah, it's known as Nimrod, named after the ship. The Green Nimrod. Day album. The Green yeah. Day album. A big yeah. Green Day fan. Little known oh. fact about Shackleton. Uh, I looked it up because that's the only thing I knew Nimrod from. It was also a biblical figure. Oh, okay. The goals of the Nimrod expedition were to conquer both the geographical South Pole and the South Magnetic Pole. And I spent a while trying to figure out what the difference is. And one's off to the side and one's straight down anyway there's two poles and he wanted to go to both of them that's the whole nimrod expedition essentially but the really he was a bit of a grafter and so instead of so again they were sailing from new zealand and instead of sailing from new zealand to the south pole to save fuel he got towed for like 2700 kilometers like 1600 miles sketching yeah, sketching the whole way. But he persuaded the New Zealand government and a, like a steamship company down in New Zealand to share the cost. For wow. Somehow. Just like sheer force of personality seems to be how he got through everything. Oh, we'll give you a shout out on Instagram after. <laughs> we'll pay you an exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the... His original plan was to go to a place called McMurdo Sound. Uh, but Scott from the previous expedition said... No, McMurdo Sound is where I'm doing my scientific uh, work. Don't go there because that's my gaff. Like, be sound. Bugger off. Yeah. So he went to a place called the Barrier Inlet. So when he got there, it was this tiny little inlet. When he got there, the ice had moved and it opened out and it was this huge bay and it was full of whales. 
so very creatively called it the Bay of Wales. Okay. And then immediately reneged on his promise and went straight back to make Murdo sound. Um, once they were able to land, Shackleton, Frank Wilde, Eric Marshall, and Jameson Adams began what in Wilde's diary called the Great Southern Journey, which, again, they're, it's just a good time for names and naming things and being epic and, yeah. Uh, so they basically went straight south. So they went to the, they reached a new furthest south latitude uh, and got to within 180 kilometers of the South Pole, which is, yeah, pretty intense. The race to the South Pole was something that a lot of countries were taking part in, in particular the Norwegians, but um, yeah. a lot of other countries were constantly doing expeditions trying to get further and further south. On the way to the pole or back from the pole, I'm not quite sure which way they discovered it, but they discovered the Beardmore Glacier. Uh, which they named after Beardmore, who sponsored most of the trip, who put up most of the funds for it. And I have no idea how you spot a glacier amongst ice. Uh, like I, and it also moves, so it's like, <laughs> it was here, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe, was, are we thinking too small? Maybe this is the size of like, you know. It could be actually, yeah, that's true. It could be. But I, I still, it's still just a whole oh, land of ice. Do you know what I mean? And then it's slightly different ice that's moving. Yeah, I wonder what happens. It might be all ice, though, actually. We might be very stupid here. Well, this is back before they used to melt all the time, so they'd actually probably keep their shape. <laughs> yeah. So. On this expedition as well, they had the first ascent of Mount Erebus, which is the furthest south active volcano, and they also discovered the approximate location of the magnetic south pole. Uh, but si our people studying now are really not sure if they got it right at all. Because the South Pole has moved, like the set magnet, sorry, the set magnetic pole has moved, but even with calculations of what they thought it should should have been at the time, they think they were miles away. Okay, I mean, I wouldn't give them that much stick. When I was in Ecuador, you go to the equator, and they have this massive thing built to mark the equator, but it was before GPS, and they they were off by like twenty miles or something like that. So twenty miles, <laughs> yeah, or, so, or something like that. It's a small amount, anyway. But um, so they have this massive thing there. And then at the actual equator line, they just have this small little thing. It's like, yeah, OK, here it is, actually. But, <laughs> so. but everyone's like, we kind of prefer the original ones. So we're going to go with that. Yeah, you get <laughs> nicer that... photos of the original. And then, yeah, it's a small little hut on, on the actual one. Is that a thing? I don't know if it's true or not, but like that water drains counterclockwise. Yeah, they did it. And I really don't know if it's real. Like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I think that's like fa a fact. Yeah, but yeah, but Darren, no, they did you do, do it, it on, like yeah, they do it on. So you go on one side of the line and then a meter on the other oh, side, and they actually do it. And then same with like you're able to balance an egg on a nail, and they they ask you to put your arms out and close your eyes. Sorry, and you and skipped over that. Line. You skipped over that. They balance an egg on a nail, and you kind of were like, yeah, yeah, you know, they balance an egg on a nail, and anyway, you know, like you always but, do. No, no, sorry, they what? do all these. They all did all these stupid little tricks, like the water, and then for tourists, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, well, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Sounds like a tourist trap, but I'd probably be really into it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So you put your arms out and close your eyes, and they have a straight line, and you have to try and walk on it, and you can feel like it pushed on either side. That's cool. Yeah. But again, I don't know if it's just something in your head. And it's just you balance. That. Like yeah. I feel that when I'm walking in a line, you it's like, balance. oh, I'm falling to the side. Yeah, yeah. The, so yeah, the expedition was pretty much a success. To be honest, like they they hit most of their goals. They didn't reach the South Pole, uh, but. They didn't reach the South Pole, but they got 
pretty close before they had to turn back. Yeah, and it sounded like they got further than any other expedition. Exactly, yeah. So it was the furthest anyone had got south. And he came home in 1909, a big hero. So this was a big PR thing. Uh, so they, he was known all over the world. And he wrote a book uh, called Heart of the Antarctic, which is really cool because you can get it on, do you know Project Gutenberg? Yeah, yeah, free. Uh, what's it? Something free yeah, books. Books out of copyright. Uh, yeah. You can get on Project Gutenberg. So you can read it. It's really cool, but it's a very admini book. Like it's his account of it. It's not well, it's not very edited. It's like, I was reading sections of it. It's like, well, if you have four men and we are going for two weeks, each man takes 10 kilos of fat, uh, lard per per week. So you need to, and he does all, all his calculations and literally goes through exactly what he brought. Wow. So it's, yeah. it's really interesting in one way, but, but not really dull in another. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's nuts and bolts reading. So it's kind of, it is really interesting if you're interested in expeditions, but yeah, it's yeah, not a big want, epic travel. Yeah. We just want, were you bitching about this guy or, you know, <laughs> the drama? <laughs> yeah. Or the flowery stuff. His wife, Emily Shackleton recorded that the only comment he made to me about not reaching the pole was a live donkey is better than a dead lion. Isn't it? So he's like, yeah, I failed, but I came home. Yeah, but I'm not dead. Okay. Yeah, that's essentially it. That, yeah. That's pretty, yeah. Fair. Yeah. So the year the year after he came back, so 1910, he made a series of recordings as well using an Edison phonograph, which you can also see on YouTube. So it's a really cool. So you can hear his actual voice. The final thing I'll say about this expedition is that they left behind a couple of cases of whiskey and rum. So they just kind of needed a shed weight to get home quicker. And they left home some like whiskey and rum caskets and they were recovered in 2010 and the whiskey company that made them and mckinley's which is scotch whiskey they are still going and they were given so they opened it up one of the crates and there was out of the 10 bottles there were nine like fully usable bottles so i thought you were going to go into the full story which is they then recreated well, okay, this is the thing that I find very frustrating. There's a very interesting scotch called Shackleton Scotch, okay? Mm-hmm. Which was, I was like, I told a lot of people the story, probably you guys, that the scotch was based exactly on the flavor of the scotch that they found there. Mm-hmm. It's based on the spirit of the expedition, according to their website. So it's faff. No, so it's not quite faff. I was looking into it. So they matched the they matched the alcohol level in it. So they this... Whiskey. <laughs> no, but no, but they they had the whiskey like custom made at like a really high alcohol percentage so that it wouldn't freeze in Antarctic temperatures. And then so they got nine, like nine bottles out of all of them. They gave three to this distillery and they have a master of nose at this whiskey distillery. And he basically oh like job. smelled it. I'm amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, he basically smelled it and then worked with a team of scientists and tried to recreate the almost the exact flavor. Um, and they released the first edition and it cost like 250 quid for a bottle. I bought the cheap stuff and my dad said it was shite. Yeah, they have a, they have a cheaper one now, which is like 30, $30. I love it. It's a beautiful bottle. Always judge a book by its cover. That's what I heard. <laughs> Uh, that's all I have on that expedition. I'm not quite sure what he did next. I have a bit of a segue. So your expedition, he came back broke. Uh, so he wasn't able to pay his debts. And the British government had to give him a grant of 20,000, which would be the equivalent of about 2 million euro to clear it. And then other debts were just kind of uh, written off. Yeah, he's broke. Yeah. So he got bailed out. Pretty much, yeah. By the British, British government, yeah. 
he got he would have got bailed out though because it was such a good PR stunt. Like you were saying, it was such a good big race to the pole. It was kind of yeah. seen as a triumph of the British Empire, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because King Edward the Seventh received him on the tenth of July and gave him a new title of Commander of the Royal Victorian Order, and also mm-hmm. named him in the King's Birthday Honours list in November, which made him a knight. So now he is now Sir Ernest Shackleton. Wow. Yeah, so he was, it was kind of held up as uh, very, very high esteem at the time. And the Royal Geographical Society, the 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 RGS, if everyone knows it, I'm sure, gave them the highest honour of the gold medal. But I saw somewhere that it was proposed that they should give him a smaller medal because it was earlier rewarded to Scott, but they, they didn't act upon that. So... Ooh. Yeah, I couldn't find any more information on it, but yeah, I saw in one place um, that yeah, they, 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 there was a request to give them a smaller one, <laughs> like a physically smaller one, or like a, a in stature smaller, like a no, no, no. So give them the gold medal, but an actual smaller medal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Why? Because Scott already had the bigger one. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if it was just because it's so Scott... petty. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I saw they used to give you a cash reward and then they just changed it into a medal. And yeah, that's that's all I could see on it. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I, this is not really related, but it is related to royalty. And I heard it on No Such Thing as a Fish this week that one third of people in Britain have seen the Queen in person. Like one out of every three. That's... She's always going around there waving around the place. Yeah, but that like yeah, that's the thing, but it's just it's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I may have got that fact wrong though. I'll check. <laughs> Shackleton wanted to cash in on his celebrity by making a fortune in the business world. So he went into a couple of ventures where he promoted a tobacco company, uh, a scheme selling a collector's postage stamp, uh, overprinted of King Edward the Seventh land which obviously didn't succeed. (laughs) (laughs) He then acquired a Hungarian mining commission, which didn't succeed either. Now, at the time, he was saying to his wife that he wasn't going to go back on expeditions. He wrote to her uh, shortly after they moved into their new home that he is never again going south and I have taught it all out and my place is now at home. And within the next year he was already planning his next expedition (laughs) (laughs) he was so close to the south pole he obviously had to go and plan another expedition Shackleton decided to get back on the horse shortly after he learned of scott's terra nova expedition failure which famously got to the south pole a couple of weeks after their norwegian team at the time the fate of scott's expedition wasn't known which we all now know they all unfortunately passed away is scott the I'm going out and there may be some time, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, okay. Oh, that's Oates, who was on the crew, yeah. But it's that it's that expedition. It's that expedition, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, okay, cool. It's all connecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was when he started planning his next expedition, right? The Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. It just rolls off the tongue. It's just, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, his whole idea was since the South Pole had been reached by now, he was like, well, I'm going to cross the whole continent. Now, that was his next thing. These lads are just crazy. Sorry, they just... uh, What's next? They just can't sit still. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's proper, like, just chasing... Just constantly chasing the next thing, the next thing. But it was cool how they planned to do it, right? Because they wouldn't have... 
like we were saying about supplies being in, like short supply that he would have two boats going on this and one boat would go around to one side and one boat would go to the other and they would drop supplies on route so so Shackleton would get off the boat and go as far as he could get to the South Pole and continue on and should meet up with his supply dump uh, en route and then be able to continue his way down which is a pretty risky strategy seeing as you could get lost you could the other ship the other guys mightn't make it in and there's no contact at all so it was pretty risky like the whole thing was pretty risky in general so before they left Shackleton put out a famous advertisement I'm sure you both saw it which read men wanted for hazardous journey low wages bitter cold long hours of complete darkness safe return doubtful honour and recognition in event of success which he received 5,000 applications for 5,000 mentlers crazy isn't it yeah. yeah, and the British government again gave them some more money, gave them about ten thousand pounds, which is about nearly a million in today's terms. Uh, which still wasn't enough. He bought the ship off a Norwegian shipbuilder who had had trouble trying to sell this ship because it was very specifically designed. It was designed to bring tourists down around the South Pole, but the person he was selling it to didn't quite work out. So in the end, Shackleton bought it for eleven thousand pounds, which for the Norwegian guy was basically cost price. He was just looking to offload this extremely thick, extremely strong ship that didn't have much space for carrying whale meat or anything. It wasn't good for fishing. It wasn't good for anything. It was just designed for tourism. So Shackleton bought it for £11,000, which was about £1.5 I think, in today's money. And then he just stripped the ship, got rid of all of that stuff and made it just for crew and just for his, uh, his gear and everything. So, But there was an argument at the time that the Endurance was probably the strongest ship ever built. I wonder, is that a bit baffy? But that's that's what I read. Hmm. And any any time a ship sorry, claims to be the strongest or the best built ship or unsinkable, we always know that goes well, yeah, especially yeah. especially ones that have Irish Irish origins. When Shackleton bought the ship, he then renamed it Endurance, kind of in line with the the zeitgeist of the moment, I guess. Mm. That is bad luck, isn't it? What to name you know, a ship? Or to rename a ship? Well, someone should have told Shackleton. Yeah, I, I've heard it before. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought it was, yeah, bad luck to rename a shift. Oh. Rename a shift. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, thought it was bad, bad luck to rename a ship. So I, he had <laughs> he had the two ships. He had the Endurance and the Aurora. So the Aurora is going to McMurdo Sound, which is where he said he wouldn't go before for Scott. That was the previous mission. I don't know if he was just like, ah, I've already done it once. I'm going to go again. Well, the, the Aurora was the, the supply... Okay, the supply ship, ship yeah. Okay. So they were going to meet them, uh, and the Endurance was the one that would go to the Hassel Bay. And this is where I got really confused with the orientation of which way was north and south, because I was looking at a map. Yeah, in response to that ad, like you said, Dar, he had 5,000 applications to join him in this expedition. Uh, but the main criteria he had was like asking people if they could sing or play an instrument, or generally if he just kind of liked them as people you know as well he did that just like like he saw people and went i like you you're coming yeah no assholes may apply like basically yeah in 1914 there was another small thing happening in the world so on august 3rd 1914 world war one broke out and they actually left on august 8th so they left after world war one had broken out but they were directed to leave by the head of the british navy at the time who was winston churchill which just feels like a different world. Like the guys who went like, 
exploring the Antarctic versus the guy who we came to know was like Prime Minister of the UK, you know? What was World War One called before World War Two? The Great War. Oh, yep. well, that was a riddle. Now everyone knows it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> also, is it a riddle? <laughs> no, yeah. not a riddle. You know me in words. Yeah. Um, did you see, Connor, there was a good one where they... Sh- so Shackleton, of course, offered his men in the ship in the war effort because they were like, we can't go exploring. You know, we got to go save our country, defend our country. But he was urged to continue by with a telegram that was sent to him which just said one word, proceed. So obviously they, for the, not really propaganda, but like the spirit of exploration was deemed equally as important as the war effort. So I thought that was quite good. Also telegrams, you paid, you paid by the letter for a telegram. So they were just like, yeah, go on. <laughs> just in as few as numbers as, or letters as possible. So from there, so sorry, once they were directed to leave by Winston Churchill, they went to Buenos Aires. And for some reason, Shackleton left later. So they left early and he met them in Buenos Aires. And from here, essentially from here on, it was all downhill, right? Um, I'm sure there was some uphill parts, but yeah, basically. Sorry, not downhill, just south. Oh, oh okay, not like, like literally. <laughs> I think Connor wanted that. I think he. Wa- I think oh, he, he lined that. He was. <laughs> I think that was a hook line, and that was like saying a up dog joke or something. Yes, that's that's oh. it, pretty much. Yeah. Do you remember, I used to have guy. up dog in a t-shirt. Yeah, you were one of those guys. Literally, never got anyone. No, no. <laughs> Nobody reads t-shirts anyway. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick note on the crew before we kind of get into the other stuff. So the crew was Shackleton and 27 other men. And then there was around 60 sled dogs and then one cat who was called Mrs. Chippy. Did you learn about Mrs. Chippy there? I did not hear about Mrs. Chippy, no. Quite, quite a way into the expedition, they discovered Mrs. Chippy was a male cat. <laughs> <laughs> and but the name had kind of stuck and they're all rather fond of the cat so uh it kind of mrs chippy became like just a very well-known feature of the of the ship and in one case at night time mrs chippy actually hopped out a porthole and fell into the ocean so the night the officer on watch heard her screaming in the ocean and they turned around the entire ship to get mrs chippy out of the water <laughs> God, these men were hardy, but yet they had a they had a soul or a heart. Yeah, well, again, it it comes back against them a little bit because like Tom Crean was also on this expedition, the Irishman we've talked about a couple of times, and he had a great um, bond with the dogs. The dogs became very important to the men for a long time for this expedition. Yeah, it definitely I, wouldn't end badly for the dogs. The the famous photos of Tom Crean that anyone that knows who Tom Crean is would have seen these photos, but they were taken on this expedition. Oh, of him with the puppies. Yeah, and then just that, the one of him looking stoic. Yeah, stoic as fuck. That was one stoic individual. (laughs) So anyway, this is kind of the part in the story where we could keep saying all the nice things about Shackleton, but he also was a man who did make the occasional mistake. And in this particular case, he was warned that the ice flows were very heavy and the ice was very, very thick, but he still chose to continue on through it, Um, uh, which was a decision that would end up kind of, well, uh, damning the entire expedition and down near taking the lives of his men as well. The expedition began on the 5th of December, 1914. And only just over a month later was when they started to get into trouble. And on the 18th of January, 1915, they became totally trapped in the ice, which gradually got thicker and thicker and thicker, and then eventually froze around them and completely trapped the ship. There is great footage, as we were saying earlier on. We're very lucky to have it, and it's on YouTube, so anyone, just have a look at it. But... The guys, the men trying to 
cut the ice away from the ship and trying to pull themselves out. But obviously it didn't work. But yeah, it, not, it not is unbelievable yeah. just to look at. Yeah, they have the huge saw thing as well. Do you see that? It's just like yeah. a huge handle, like cutting the ice and like moving it out of the way. But you're fighting against like entire mm. countries of ice, basically. Landmass the size of country of ice coming at you. The footage from the expedition is amazing though. So it's from a guy called Frank Hurley, who was the expedition photographer and videographer. And he was just, I just think it's amazing just how he was able to just film these guys like cutting out the ice. They're saying, we need to cut this ice. We need to move it uh, or we'll die. And he was still like, nope, I'm going to take a video. You lads keep chopping away. Yeah, it was his role just to take it. I mean, it is kind of funny to think of like, so he is being paid to do it. But at the same time, if he doesn't help, they may not get out and then the footage may not be seen. So Yeah, it's it's like a rearranging the deck chairs in Titanic. Do you know, like he spent and like the photos and videos he gets are amazing. Like he gets like really wide angle shots from miles away as well. Mm-hmm. So he's like walked, he's gone out of his way, used a lot of energy to shoot photos and video, which are great now. But if yeah, if they didn't make it back and we discovered these reels and reels later years on, we'd be like, what a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had a lot of time, that was the thing. That's true, yeah. Like I said, the ship became trapped in the ice on the 18th of January. They then converted the ship into a winter station, which was essentially like, well, just their quarters for their survival, I guess, until they could get out of the ice, which they thought would happen in a matter of months. So Shackleton realized straight away that like the biggest kind of threat at the moment was not necessarily the conditions, but rather the morale of the men. Because, again, faced with the fact that certain death with very little chance of rescue, um, he realized that this can lead to some serious kind of, some serious issues with the men. So the first thing he did was he established a routine. The men were still obliged to do all of their daily chores. So they'd be like scrubbing the decks. They'd be doing all this stuff that a lot of them complained. They're like, why are we doing this? The ship isn't going anywhere. But it was really important for Shackleton to drill down this idea that the men every day had a routine. So when they had dinner, after dinner, they weren't allowed to go back to their tent alone. They have to stay together. They have to have mandatory social time. Sounds really fun. But they did all sorts of stuff. They had plays. They had skits. They, Shackleton was given the, they were given awards out. Shackleton got the award for worst singing voice. So like over this like 10 month period, they were kept really busy, which is phenomenal to think about when there was very little to do in the middle of the ice. They also referred to him as the boss or boss. Mm. Uh, he he was obviously a leader of men uh, and another way he kept them busy was he insisted that every man had to go for a three mile walk each day oh, so just get their 10,000 steps in the Fitbit yeah 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 get your <laughs> Fitbit on there lads and go off for a walk yeah um, but he also noticed that if a person was down he wouldn't single them out and he wouldn't point them out in front of everybody so he would give everyone some warmer hot milk uh, as a kind of a pick me up uh, so hoping that the man that was actually a bit down would be picked up, but it also gave everyone else a bit of a morale boost. So he was, yeah, he kind of had a f- good way of leadership anyway. The uh, one thing I found interesting about his tasks and stuff that he did was that even like scrubbing the deck, which is usually like the lowest crewman on the ship would be doing that. That would be done by everyone. Like the officer would be getting, you know, would be on wash-up duty or he'd be scrubbing the decks. It was, it, it kind of leveled... He wasn't one for like the rankings of officer yeah. and all the flourishings that came with it. He was very much kind of an everyman, really. There's no room for hierarchy when it comes to survival, I guess. After about 10 months and many, many, many hours spent trying to save the ship, eventually water started leaking into the ship 
and they realized they had to abandon it. Shackleton said it very simply to his men. He said, quote, ship and stores have gone, so now we'll go home. So obviously he was still kind of doing his like chipper chin up sort of stuff. But in reality, he wrote more realistically in his diary saying, I pray God I can manage to get the whole party to civilization. So this was something that weighed very heavily on his conscience. It was very important for Shackleton that all of his men survived and he got them home. Well, all of his men on this ship survived. The Aurora, unfortunately, wasn't as lucky. Yeah, but he had no contact with them at all. That's the really mad thing with this, like the Aurora guys had no idea what was happening so they would have been starting their mission of like leaving dumps right like the supply dump yeah um i love that that's such a like a good reframe do you know like that's like a very uh like you have a setback in life it's you know there's no such thing as a positive or a negative thing you just re you know it's the way you perceive yeah. it he was like okay cool we're not stuck on this stuck ship anymore now we get to go home. Like, he's like, no, no, this is positive. I'd still imagine this was quite a demoralizer because they went from being able to stay on the ship to staying in tents and on three lifeboats they managed to salvage. So it was still kind of tough. And this is kind of where we're going into the part now where things get a little hopeless, I guess. Yeah, as you said, they they left the boat. They had to leave the boat. They had three small boats that were 20 foot in length so small for where they were and they ended up making a little base on a chunk of ice which was moving along um, and they lived on that for six months yeah and they were hoping that it would like float towards somewhere useful right they were like maybe this will float there well they had provisions 250 miles away on an island called paulette island and they came close to the island but their ice flow went by it yeah. Or they didn't make so, it there. Yeah, so after missing the original target, Shackleton reconvened and said that they're going to head towards Elephant Island or hope to head towards Elephant Island. Um, uh, and there was a real lack of food available. So there's one quote that I was reading that they had seal uh, steaks and penguin steaks and then penguin liver. So that's kind of really all they had to eat. They, they spoke really highly of the liver. They said it was really good. Yeah, I've seen a couple of reports of that. They were like, yeah, the penguin liver is actually really good. Yeah, the steaks are brutal, but liver, spot on. <laughs> and unfortunately, this is the point of the story where Shackleton ordered that any of the surviving dogs and Mrs. Chippy were shot. This action obviously makes the most sense for the crew, but the people who'd become quite attached to the animals were not best pleased by this decision, understandably. The, them dogs were having puppies and everything, so it was 14 months at this stage they were stuck, so... There was a whole new litter of pups and, you know, they probably bonded with them. You can only imagine. Yeah, more mouse yeah. to feed them as well. So. I saw they were eating more meat than the men were. And they were like, all right, we need yeah. to. But yeah, it's funny because Shackleton played, placed such emphasis on the morale of his men that it must have been like really desperate because obviously the dogs were hugely good for morale. So suddenly the ice float that they were, that they were staying on for six months broke up and this is the 9th of april at this time so at 11 a.m they had to rush to their boats and pack up as many supplies as they could and make their way to elephant island by themselves it took them seven days to get there they didn't get much sleep the seas were terrible obviously you can only imagine and in these little tiny boats and there was 17 hours of darkness and so just miserable so in 20 minus 20 degrees the guys were getting hungry they were thirsty everything was going wrong for them they eventually got to elephant island which 
was the first solid ground they stood on in over 16 months. So Elephant Island isn't a nice paradise island that loads of food and vegetation on. So it's a very inhospitable place. There's no shipping route, so there was really no chance of being discovered there. Shackleton decided to take a, take a risk and him and three men took an open boat journey of 800 miles to South Georgia, um, where they originally set off from. So there was a whaling station there that he knew that they, they, there would be people there to help them. Uh, so Shack- Shackleton decided to leave. He left 22 men behind. They left on the 24th of April 1916 for South Georgia. They took the strongest boat uh, that, that was available. And there was a, the carpenter there. He made a few small improvements. So they raised the side so water couldn't get in or as easily. Uh, they strengthened the keel. And then they built a makeshift deck out of wood and canvas. But it's funny because the carpenter himself was actually someone that was causing a lot of trouble um, earlier on in the trip as well for Shackleton. I think that's probably why he brought him. uh, He brought him for his expertise, but he also didn't want to leave someone behind he knew would sow this discontent, knowing Mm -hmm. that the remaining men would be left there for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that's exactly what I saw as well. So he, oh, so he was like pulling out the the guy who would. The yeah, troublemaker, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that's it's like, amazing. At least, it's like, at least I can keep my eye on you if you're with me, but if you're not, then you're just going to be annoying the other 22 yeah. men or 21 men that were left behind. Risking their life, you know? Yeah. So it was that carpenter, Harry McNish. There was our friend Tom Crean again, and then also the captain of the endurance, Frank Warsel. Or War- sorry, Frank Worsley. So they made their way the 700 miles back to their starting point of South George Island, is that correct? <laughs> 800 miles yes okay. and seemingly tom crane begged to go <laughs> <laughs> yes which seems fitting for his character yeah again if you know until about him he seems to be that type of guy that just wants to be part of the action he does deserve his own episode but i feel like it's basically just this episode from his perspective <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> shackleton refused to pack supplies for more than four weeks knowing that if they did not reach south georgia within that time the boat and the crew would be lost so again very pragmatic and he just kind of knew that this was what had to be done and it had to be done within this time frame um, that's mental so, he was just like right well we're gonna bring enough and if we don't make it and like for a lad who has a history of getting stuck places and having to wait it out fairly brave like yeah and it even worse again so it took them 15 or 16 days depending on the reports you read but they got hit by a storm on the third day i think it was by waves that were as high as 50 foot and it was later found out that that same storm uh, sunk a 500 ton steamer so like <laughs> these guys are in this little dinghy and it sunk this massive ship so it's almost like a bend rather than break kind of thing isn't it like that yeah the yeah, old story yeah. of like the oak tree stands up against the wind versus a blade of grass that bends with it Oh, very mm. No, I've never heard that. But that sounds lovely. Sounds like that's, a Japanese. That's the whole story. That's the whole story. Like it's, <laughs> it's an oak tree just falls because he tries to stand against the wind. So the five hundred ton steamer, I guess. Would... They eventually saw the South Georgian island, but it took them two days to actually land there. The seas were so so bad that they, it took them so many times to actually hit land and get into a bay. And it said that once they got, once they pulled the boat out onto the onto the beach or onto the land that the rudder uh, fell off so that the last pin holding the rudder in place broke off so they, they were very lucky <laughs> so they've basically now they've made it back to their starting point but there's one small problem they are on the opposite side of the island to where the whaling station is of course of course they are you, you genuinely <laughs> could write this it's, yeah. it's 
it's it's that kind of famous saying it's like you have to make fiction believable why hasn't there been a movie about this there has been but i don't know how popular it has but yeah not like a modern epic probably because it's not believable like you're just watching it oh come on like like, (laughs) jesus it's like die hard it's like come on (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting too old for this um that's a little weapon I've never seen Lethal Weapon, and I know that. Oh, He's, that's not Die Hard? Oh, news to me. Do you see how they, they, like, prepared their boots for going? They just pushed screws into their boots to cross the island. Oof. Yeah, they didn't have many, much, they didn't have much equipment to actually get <laughs> to the site. No, they just so... pushed screws and Christmas pudding into their boots. <laughs> I don't know about the Christmas pudding, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, but, it was mad. So what was it? They had, like, 50 foot of rope screws in their boots and some like woodworking tool do we have a do you do you have a distance of the trek or anything because this seems like a really epic trek whatever they did uh yeah it's like 32 miles it was said that shackleton wasn't a great climber though and he was quite weak so only three of them did the trek and then they left two behind there was yeah there was five originally in the boat and then two or two weeks to go so yeah, they had done a huge, like a horrible crossing, and then they had to do this horrific trek across. I think it was the next time someone did it was like in 1955. What was his name? Uh, Duncan Cars, who like mm. followed the same route in like tribute, in tribute to their achievement. And he said, "I don't know how they did it, except that they had to." And this guy had maps, and he knew where he was going. These lads didn't have a notion, so they had no maps, they had no clue where they're going. And at one stage, they found themselves on, on the top of a steep slope and they start making their way down it and they realized, oh, we're not going to do this. If we keep going at this pace, they're just going to die of exposure. So they tied the rope around them and just jumped off into like abyss. There was the, the, the clouds were covering the bottom, so they actually couldn't see where they were going and they just jumped off and hoped for the best. Is that like, a, OK, right, we'll lower you down a bit. And Shackleton was like, no, I'm going to jump. <laughs> The three of them, I think the three of them all jumped. Yeah. Wait. Oh, so then you, oh God. So they were like, well, I hope, hope it's not far. Yeah. And it was seemingly, where is it? Oh, where is it? I have it written down. I don't know. I don't have it here now, but yeah, it just, it was seemingly a massive jump anyway. And they were grand. Hey folks, quick intervention. The battery in Dara's microphone went here, so he'll still be in the rest of the episode, but it might not sound as good. So sorry about that. We're going to get him loads of batteries next time. It took the three men 36 hours to get across to the whaling station on the other side of the island where Shackleton met someone that he knew, but the guy didn't recognize it was him. He said, I know your voice, but I don't know the face. So eventually they understood it was Shackleton and it's rumored that the man had a little tear in his eye. Who, Shackleton or the man? No, the other guy. Why did the other guy have a tear in his eye? Because he was happy to see Shackleton. Oh, (laughs) Shackleton pretty much headed straight back to Elephant Island to pick up the 22 other men, or what he hoped to had 22 men remaining. Uh, and he, they tried to make their way out on a smaller boat. It didn't really work for them. So he appealed to the Chilean government um, to opt to use one of their boats. I'm not going to try and say the word. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But it's a small seagoing tug. I have to say the word. All right. Uh, Yecho. Oh, that works. No. Uh, Yelcho. I can't see the spelling, so I'm buying whatever you're saying. Yep. Yelcho. So the boat 
reached Elephant Island on the 30th of August 1916, which is the, um, the 30th of August, my birthday was not, you know, not the day of my birth. The ship arrived at Elephant Island on the 30th of August 1916, which at this point the men would have been isolated for over four and a half months. And Shackleton, while they saw fire on the island, they wouldn't have known how many men were still alive. Yeah, there's actually a nice quote. There was, well, there was writing of the event where Shackleton was watching all the men on the shore and counting them. And once he realized that all the men had survived, the, what was it, the years of age and worry just like shed it off away from his face. So he was, all, he, all his focus was on these men and making sure they survived. Yeah, just, I can only imagine. They, they, they were picked up and then they were brought back to Punta Arenas, which is in Chile, and then spent some time in Valparaiso which is a nice warm city in Chile and they got a warm reception there. Literally. Back to, yeah, yeah. Back to civilization. I say they were so happy. Just in case you think that he forgot about the Aurora, it had been stranded at Cape Evans in McMurdo Sound, which is where we spoke about before. It was blown off from, they'd dropped anchor, but it was actually blown away. It was driven out to sea uh, and it was kind of drifting around for a while and it ended up eventually been able to return to New Zealand. At the expense of three men's lives. Yeah, and including the commander, uh, Aeneas McIntosh. Once Shackleton was reunited with all of his men, uh, bar three that he lost on the Aurora, they headed back towards uh, England, back towards Europe. But uh, World War I was still going on. So this is 1917 at this stage. So they left at the very start of World War I and it was still going on. Now, Shackleton wasn't in great nick at the time, but he did ask in very Shackleton style, he asked to be put on the front line in France. He wanted to be in the trenches because, of course, he did. And instead, they sent him back to South America to try and convince Argentina and Chile to join on the Allied side, which didn't go that well because he had started drinking quite a lot at the stage and he didn't really convince anyone of anything much. So he ended up going back and they sent him to... Svalbard up in the Arctic. Uh, He's like, where's the war? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was... You mind up here. It was basically like a, um, a decoy thing that kind of sent him up saying, oh, there's a coal mining thing happening up there. And it was almost like a decoy um, against the... Not the Axis powers. What were they? The... Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. The antagonist. Yeah, it was basically like a, a covert mission, kind of a distraction mission. And then... Uh, they realized kind of while he was in Svalbard because it's cold and he was showing, obviously he had a lot of experience in surviving cold places. The Russian revolution had happened at this time and the allied powers wanted to convince Russia to stay in the war. So he joined the North Russia Expeditionary Force where he was just training up troops on how to survive in the snow, how to deal with snow, how to hunt, how to do basic things. And yeah, that's how he became kind of very useful to the British military. At the age of 44, Shackleton was trying to drum up support for a final expedition, uh, which was also going to be in the Antarctic. On this expedition, Shackleton recruited some of his former crew members. Even though some of them didn't get paid, they, they said they joined their former boss. That's how loyal they were to him. But on the way to Rio, uh, Shackleton suffered from a suspected heart attack. He refused proper medical examination and he wanted to go ahead. So on the 4th of January 22 they arrived in South Georgia but unfortunately in the early hours of the next morning Shackleton was complaining about a back pain and other discomforts and he 
unfortunately passed away of a heart attack or what seems to be a heart attack. There's a report from a doctor on the expedition at the time and Shackleton apparently asked him, like, you're always telling me to like give up stuff. Like, what are you trying? What, what is it that I should give up? And apparently he replied, chiefly alcohol, boss. <laughs> you drinking yeah. all the time. He, they were going to bring him back to England, but his wife asked them to be buried on South Georgia. So they returned him back there. And the doctor, which Connor just mentioned there, wrote in his diary, said, I think this is what the boss would have had it himself standing alone on an island far from civilization, surrounded by stormy, tempestuous seas and in a vicinity of one of the greatest exploits. Yeah, it's kind of perfect. Like, as in that's yeah. that's where he should be, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Out in the middle of nowhere. Like, you can't imagine him in some kind of busy graveyard and somewhere outside London. You know, it's it's better that he's yeah. in the Antarctic. I loved um, yeah, exactly. the, the video that we, we kind of watched on YouTube. <laughs> it was kind of like a cool story. And then at the very end, it just ended with this quote, which I thought was quite depressing. But then somebody in the comments added on to the quote, which I quite enjoyed. So the quote the video ends in is, Shackleton never achieved any of his goals. He lost the race for the pole and failed to cross Antarctica. And then the addition, that's how it ends. And the video ends. My God, that's a downer. <laughs> but the addition is, yet he is immortal for achieving what no one could ever imagine. True leadership and service to men who willingly went with him to the most dangerous place on the planet. Yeah. Pretty nice. It's pretty nifty. Yeah. But with, regard, with regards to his legacy, he died in massive amounts of debt. So in today's money he left, he was in debt about two million pounds. So after he died, a biography of his life and a memorial fund was set up to, for his family so that his wife and his children would have like just any money going forward, I guess. So it obviously rubbed off a bit because his son, Edward, would follow in his father's footsteps, becoming an adventurer and becoming the first Westerner to summit Mount Mulu in Borneo in 1932. So obviously still a good bit of the adventurous spirit in the family. Um, apart from that, in oh yeah, so that's kind of the thing I want to say about Scott, which I know we're done, but I'll try and do it fast, <laughs> is that directly after like Shackleton's exploits, he didn't really get the same recognition that Scott was getting. And Scott was always deemed as the hero. But then as the years went on into the 50s and 60s, the kind of the tide changed and the popularity amongst Scott actually faded a bit, which was kind of the blind go forward and complete the quest over to the Shackleton was like, my men are the most important. And then the, the narrative became Shackleton became a much more heroic figure, I think, in some people's eyes. So, and then it, more recently, it's something I don't particularly like, but like the corporate uh, world has taken Shackleton as like, this is how industry should be, or this is how to treat your employees. And Shackleton has become like a kind of poster child for like corporate office life. Corporate leadership. Which I think is yeah. just the grossest concept ever. Well, but yeah, you know, the name carries on. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so anything to add folks, or um, how are you just gonna compare your meager lives to that of Shackleton from now on? If you stayed with us this far, thanks for coming with us on this adventure. He was a pretty epic man who had an epic life and hopefully we were able to produce a somewhat epic podcast if you enjoyed it let us know and if you have other people you'd like us to explore in irish history do get in touch uh until next time this is the irish abroad what's it called <laughs> <laughs> until then this has been the out of ireland podcast see you next time <laughs>